Amen. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you're Pentecostal? Hallelujah. That is awesome. That's how my mother used to be. She went back to, like, we had to do everything for her. She went back to, like, a, a child state, and she couldn't talk, and she couldn't do anything for herself. But when I turned on Jimmy Swaggart, and they would get to singing those songs, and I would get in front of the TV, and I would start shouting and waving my arms and dancing before the Lord. Boy, she really would get into it. It was awesome to see that. You know, it, it really shows the power of God. Yes, it does. Hallelujah. You know, I, I thought strongly about speaking on Revelation 21 and 8 tonight, where it talks about different things not entering into heaven. And surprisingly enough, all liars was located in that verse. Um, but then I was reminded of room, and, and, and I say that because I'm just kidding around, because there's been a lot of loose tongues about potato salad and smash screen doors and all kinds of things. But then I was reminded of Romans 8 and 1, and I love that verse where it says, Therefore, there is no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So we'll just stick with that one, okay? <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn with me tonight to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight, and Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that you've already showed up in this place in a mighty way, Lord God, and it's not because we're worthy, Lord, but it's because of your blood, Jesus, and what you accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Lord, as I come before you tonight and stand in front of these people, Lord, I just ask you, Lord, one more time to hide me behind the cross of Calvary. I ask you, Lord God, to flow through me by the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask you to speak through me, Lord, to give me the words, Lord, straight from the throne room of God. I ask you, Lord God, to let those words flow from my mouth and from my lips, Lord God, that you might be lifted up and that you might be exalted and that your word might lodge within our hearts, Lord, that we would leave this place saying, Lord God, that, that we've been touched by you, Lord God, and what a privilege it is to be in your house. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also, hearing, bear, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. I would like to speak to you tonight for a few minutes on the subject, drifting, drifting. You know, Satan knows that most of the people in here, or most of his, of, of God's people, will not ever be tempted in what we would classify as a gross sin. But I believe that one of the most devastating things that can happen to us as Christians, and one of the saddest things, is we let those things that we have known and heard and the blessings of God in our life and our relationship with him begin to slip away like the words talking about here tonight. 
and I believe one of the saddest things is when we begin to drift. And if you look up the word drift in the dictionary or drifting, it talks about a slow moving away from. And I don't believe that anybody, any strong Christian or anybody that loved God, loves God ever wakes up one morning and says, well, I think today I'm going to backslide away from God. That just doesn't happen. You don't make up your mind someday, well, I'm just going to backslide. But it's a slow process that begins to happen when we start drifting away. And we see that drifting in a lot of areas in our life. You know, when I make up my mind that I'm going to begin to watch what I eat, and that's about as far as it goes, I watch it as I put it in my mouth. But when we begin, you know, it only takes two potato chips. And that's not enough. You know, you say to yourself, oh, what's two potato chips going to hurt? So you put your hand in that bag and you pick out a couple potato chips and you begin to slowly drift back to that bag because you're beginning to lose your willpower. And that's the way it is with, with our relationship with God. Every day, several times a day, I have to make sure and check myself. Am I where God wants me to be? Have I done anything that's displeasing to him? I don't want to begin to drift. Because it's like I always used to tell my kids when they were young. I used to tell them all the time. You know, if you go into a dark place from the sunlight, you can't see a thing. Everything looks really, really dark. But the longer you begin to stay in that dark place, the more you begin to, to take on a gray area. And that's the way it is. We have to be careful that we are not slowly, slowly. You know, I, I, it only takes one bit of a candy bar to you want to reach in that. You know, you can tell yourself. One of my weaknesses is Susie Q cakes. And I was kind of glad when hostess stopped making them. But I went in the grocery store one day and I saw them again. And it said on the box, She's back because Janet asked, and I don't know how many times I have one in the box. I told my husband, I said, it's a wonder they didn't have my name on that box. But I, can, I know I'm better off not to pick up that box of Susie Q's in the store. Because I can tell myself all I want. I'm going to bring them home. I'm going to put some in Paul's lunch. I'm only going to have one a day. But it never works out that way. Because I begin to drift. And before you know it, Paul really doesn't have many left to put in his lunch. But those, those are just comical things we can talk about. But how tragic it is when we begin losing out on our relationship with God. It is a known fact that 1.6 million crashes happen a year because of texting while driving. Can you imagine? 1.6 million crashes. 330,000 injuries per year. And this blew my mind. One out of four accidents in America on our highways happened because of someone texting. And I'm sure every one of them thought the same thing. It will not happen to me. But what happens is it only takes a second until we start drifting into that line of traffic or off of the highway. And those things are tragic. 
but the most tragic thing in this life is someone that once used to be on fire for God and now is cold and don't even darken the church doors. And I'm, I'm sure that you know people like that. I'm sure I do. Just a couple months ago, I did the funeral of my niece who died of an overdose. She was barely 30 years old. And for that funeral, I was handed a letter to read. It was a copy of a letter that she sent from North Carolina to my brother. Nine, just nine short months before the overdose happened, she wrote him this letter and said how she turned her life around and was off of heroin and how God had changed her life and how she was going in the right direction. And she went to, to a um, rehab, Christian rehab organization, and she was getting her life together. And nine short months later, we get a phone call that she's dead. How sad that is because it's too late for her. Whether she had time to cry out to God, I don't know. I do know this. Her mom and dad didn't have her in church, but my mom did. And her favorite course was always, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I ended that funeral service talking about that chorus. And I made this statement that I'm not God. I don't know where she is. I don't know if she had time to call out at the very last minute. But I do know this. I choose to remember. It was hard to rejoice in that day. But I told the people at that funeral to try to remember the good. But the most tragic thing is when we begin to drift in the wrong direction. How, how easily that can happen. And then I began to think in preparing and seeking God for tonight. I began to think because when I speak, I like to speak from my heart. When I sing, I like to sing from my heart. Because people can tell fake. And if I don't feel it in here, I can't present it to someone else. I have to feel. I have to live what I'm saying. And I thought about, I said, Lord, what is it? What is it? I don't want just another time together. I don't want just another time with the microphone in my hand. You know, you know just what we need in Houston Town Church of God for this service. And I was reminded about how I think sometimes we as, as Christians do not take things seriously enough. I was reminded, in fact, I haven't been able to get last Wednesday night's interpretation of tongues out of my mind. And I'm reminded of how, how quickly we forget what God really tells us. We're human and things leave our mind. But there was things that was said in that interpretation. In fact, I shared with my daughter. I said, you know, out of all the interpretations I've ever given from God, I think that interpretation touched me more than any other one. And maybe it didn't touch anybody else in here like it touched me. But I came up here and I began to weep at this front pew because it touched me so much. And again today, I was reminded of that. And I had all these sermons that I was trying to get together. Games people play. Why don't you fly with the eagles instead of pecking with the chickens? All these things. But God said, no, I want you to share your heart 
about last Wednesday night. And if you weren't here, or even if you were, I want to remind you of some of the things that God said in that message. Because we so quickly forget. But God had that message lodged in my heart. He said these words. He said, there is a storm brewing. He said, don't you see the dark clouds? And I'm going to stop there a minute before I go on to say the other things. There is a storm brewing. We all know that tonight. We know. You know, I heard on the news that this new drug that's, that's out in Ohio, there are so many deaths that this one moored from this new drug that they had to bring a refrigerated truck to store the bodies because the funeral home was too full. They say that this new synthetic type of heroin is between 30 and 50% more potent than what heroin is. We see the storm clouds all around us. We see what's happening. We can't turn on the news till we see prophecy being fulfilled right before our very eyes and right before our very ears. We have so many enemies that we don't know when someone's going to nuke us. The only safety and security we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God cared enough about how privileged we are to be Pentecostal. How privileged we are to be able to hear from God, straight from the throne room of God. And he cared enough about us last Wednesday night that he reminded us that the storm was brewing and that the clouds were in the sky. And I thought to myself, it's not a time to be drifting. It's not a time to be turning away. It's not a time to be compromising. But it's time to make sure that our hearts are right before an almighty God. The storm is brewing. The clouds are dark, the Lord said. And it was such intensity. And it was such sternness at first from the Lord. And then almost like a grievingness. It was, it was amazing. The one most serious thing of all is that we are one heartbeat away from facing eternity. We should remember tonight the rich man. He had all he ever, could ever ask for. So it wasn't money that he neglected. It wasn't, it wasn't that he couldn't have anything he wanted in this life. Yet one day later, he was begging for one sip of cold water. So I'm reminded from that, that even though the storm is brewing, and even though I don't know what tomorrow holds, I don't even know what tonight holds, thank God Almighty, I know who holds tomorrow. And I know that no matter what storm is brewing or what happens, that my Lord will see me through. But my issue is that I have to make sure that I'm not drifting away. There's a storm brewing. We're near the end. Yet, there's so many in my family that are not right with God. A couple times tonight I thought Brother Junior was going to preach the sermon. A couple of things he said. But, you know, it, it's so true. How we forget about that sometimes. But I have a son who's coming around, thank God, but he still is not right with God. And if he would die tonight, he would split hell wide open. 
So that's one of the reasons why I have to guard myself. And I have to make sure that I'm not drifting from the only source that can help my son. And I know beyond any doubt that he will not leave this world until he gets his heart right with God. Because I want to tell you something. I prayed too long and too hard. And I dedicated that boy to God. And he will not be handed over to a devil's hell. And Satan cannot have him. But I have to do my part. I have to stay where I'm right with God and I'm in fellowship with him. And no matter what happens, it doesn't take me 10, 20, 30 minutes to get prayed up. That that channel between God and myself is open. So I have to make sure that I'm not drifting. God also said, I weep for my church. You know, that really struck me, and I began to look up in the Bible about the Lord weeping. And I was reading in Jeremiah in different places. And of course, I read where Jesus wept when, when Lazarus died. But I thought, Lord, what are you trying to tell us? You see, God doesn't give us messages and tongues and interpretations and prophecies and all these things just so we can forget about them and say, oh, we had a good service. God has a purpose in what he does. And when he blesses his church, it is for a reason. Why would God say, I weep for my church? I believe God sees that his children are so much living under his potential. I believe that there's not a one of us in here that can even begin to imagine how much we are living underneath the way God wants us to be living. I remember when my son was in high school, he could have been the top of his class. He was tested for being gifted several times, and he could have had a free ride through college, but he couldn't have cared less. All he cared about was, was being the clown of the class. And because of his actions, he missed out and, and still paying probably on student loans and things through college that he could have had free. He had to pay a high price for that being a clown the last couple years of his school. And that broke my heart. I would beg and plead with him and tell him, you know, God has blessed you so much. Why do you act like this? But it just went straight over his head. But it hurt me so much. But how much more does it hurt God to see that he sent his only son to die on the cross of Calvary that we would have provision for every single thing that we have need for. Yet we sit here and we don't take advantages of the benefits of God. Because we are living far underneath the potential of what he's already paid the price for. I'll tell you what, when somebody pays the price for me to have something, I just don't stand there. I take it because I know it's paid for. And Jesus paid for every single thing I have need of tonight. It is my own fault if I do not reach out and accept it. But I believe he weeps because we are living so much underneath our potential. I believe he sinned because of our lack of faith. You know, the Bible says, ask this question, when I return, will I find any faith left on the earth? I see how that's happening today. 
It's easier for us to trust in the bank card or a doctor than it is to pray through and trust God for what we really need. And I believe that if the Lord tarries long enough, this country is coming to the place that we will have to get back on our knees and we will have to trust God for the impossible. But I believe he's saddened because of our lack of faith. I think of Abraham and how he was willing to give his own son and how he had faith enough to believe. I, 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 when you read your Bible and he gets off of, 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 his, of his donkey or whatever he was riding to take his son up into that mountain to sacrifice his one and only son, he had faith enough to believe. God didn't stop it before he left. He left him take that journey. He didn't stop it before he got off of his donkey or whatever it was he was riding. He could have stopped it at any time, but he waited to the very last second because it was a trial of Abraham's faith. And when he got off of whatever he was riding on, and he said to his son, well, first he said to the two that was with him, he said, we will return. That's how much faith he had. And then his son looked at him, his only son. As a parent, can you imagine what must have went through him? He said, my father. And Abraham said to him, he said, here am I. And he said, behold the wood, behold the fire. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? What that must have done to his father. And you as a parent and grandparent can begin to understand that. But still, there still was no turning back. I'm afraid I'd have got back on that animal and took off. I'm just being honest. I would have made some kind of excuse and I would have said, but God, you gave me this son. You promised me this son. I must be eating the wrong thing or I must be listening to something else, but this can't be you. But he never doubted. He took that young lad and he went up there and he got to the very point that he laid him on that altar of sacrifice. And the Bible says he took that very knife to kill his only son. And at that time, God had that ram stick in that thicket. I want to tell you something. We might think God forsakes us. Just like that word for Brother Charlie tonight. I'm telling you, well, I could barely keep singing. It was so strong to give him that word. Because you know what? God knows just what we need. And when we are weak, he is strong. And you can't tell me that that was a coincidence that that ram got stuck there right at that second. God already had everything all planned out. But what amazes me was Abraham's faith to know enough ahead of time that him and his son would return. Amazing. I think of Noah. I think of how he was made fun of and it hadn't rained and he took all these years. Bible scholars disagree with how many years it took. Some say 120, some say, oh, no, it wasn't that long. I don't care, but it was a very long time. He probably took that ridicule longer than most of us have lived, I'll guarantee you. But it didn't matter what people said. It didn't matter that there was no rain coming out of the sky. It didn't matter what it looked like. He knew that he heard from God, and his faith carried him through. And I'll guarantee you, when that rain started coming down, there was anybody would have traded places with him. 
but he had faith enough to believe that it would work out. That's the kind of faith I want, church. I want to have that kind of faith in God. But he said to us, I weep for my church. I believe he, he has sinned for his church because his people are satisfied. So many are so satisfied to get, on, get saved and know they're on their way to heaven and get on their spiritual rocking chair and come to one week, once a week service if, if, they're, if we're lucky to see their presence once a week. And they've lost their vision. They've lost their burden for lost souls. You know, I talked to a friend of mine who I hadn't talked to for quite a while, and she was inviting me to some get-together they were having, and, and I was telling her about Sunday night services, and she said, wait a minute, you mean your church still has Sunday night services? And I said, we sure do. Wednesday night, too. I said, we have Bible study. I said, Art, I said you, you need to come visit. And she promised me she's going to come visit. So I'm, I'm going to hold her to that and remind her if I have to now and then. But I will not be satisfied until people around me in this church, and including myself, are growing. And I can see that spiritual growth in the Lord. You see, it doesn't, do I want to see 100 people here? Yes, I do. I want to see the preacher sing on the roof. But you know what? And, and you might not agree with me on this, but I mean this from the bottom of my heart. More than I see in 100 people here, I want to see the people that are already here get to the place with God that they need to be. And what all of us draw, draw closer to God, then God can fill the place. But I will not be satisfied until I see souls being saved. You know, if a church is alive, there should be growth. If my new little grandson didn't grow, which he is doing like, like they say a bad weed, I would know something was wrong. It wouldn't be healthy. It wouldn't be normal. I won't be satisfied until I see those of us in here. I won't be satisfied until I don't have to take another metformin pill for my diabetes. I won't be satisfied until I see people in here totally 100% healed. Because that is a benefit for the child of God. I believe he's saddened because most of his people say he was instead of he is. He is my savior. He is my healer. Not only did he heal all through the word of God, but he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is my Savior in 2017. He is my healer in 2017. He is my deliverer in 2017. And praise God, he is my way maker in 2017. The third thing I want to remind you that the Lord said in that message last Wednesday night was my people are looking to the right and to the left and they're running to and fro. Stop and think about that. 
And this is where I thought Brother Junior was going to preach my sermon. Busyness. You know, God, the Bible says God is a jealous God. And I never heard tell of a doctor performing a surgery while the patient was running down the hallways of the hospital. We wonder why God isn't speaking so many times. Maybe it's because, and this is another thing, God placed so impressed on my heart that I was ordering my new checks the other day, and I usually get something about a miracle down there and a little note at the bottom, but I put God on my checks this time. God is still speaking. Are you listening? God impressed that so much on my heart because so many times we're so busy. And before you know it, it's another Wednesday night or it's another Sunday. Time to go to church, and that's good. But have we done our part between those times to come through those doors prayed up and ready to worship and ready to let God use us and overflowing with him that we can be that example that God has called us to be? Amen? God still speaks. Are you listening? And after God placed that on my heart, several things happened in my life that God showed me that he is really speaking. So many times we miss it, church. God speaks to us in different ways. He uses his word. He uses messages in tongues interpretation. He uses godly men and women to give us counsel. He uses dreams. I could go on and on and on and on. It's not usually an audible voice, although I'm, I'm not saying it can't be. It can be. God can do anything he wants to do. He can speak through a jackass. He can speak through any of us. But the thing is, are we listening? I want to give you a couple examples of that that just happened, some things that happened to me in the last couple weeks that was God speaking. And if I wasn't listening, I wouldn't have noticed it. As a lot of you know, <laughs> I'm way too busy for my age. It just seems like the busyness, like you were saying, brother. And you know, busyness, even doing good things, can be a bad thing because it preoccupies us and gets our attention off of God. But anyway, I was preparing Friday, I was thinking last, the Friday before 5K, I was thinking about preparing a ham for the church. And I was very tired, and I said to my husband, I'm going to have to get up about 4 o'clock and put that ham in. And that wasn't very appealing to me. Because I'll tell you what, I'm a night person, but I'm certainly not a morning person. In fact, I told my husband the other day, I said, you know how sad this is? I said, my favorite spot's becoming my bed in my bedroom because of the tiredness. And I can't wait till Sundays to, to be in church, but then I can't wait to even in, get in bed for my nap. That's my Pentecostal nap. And I'm not too happy if I don't get that Pentecostal nap. That's how bad it's getting. But anyway, I wasn't complaining. I wanted to do it, but I did think, oh, I got to get up 4 o'clock. But I can surely crawl back in until it's done. So anyway, I was thinking about this on Friday. My daughter took me out for my birthday Friday night to this really nice place that had crab legs. And I love crab legs. I can really get into crab legs. In fact, 
I forget about how messy my hands get when I'm cracking them crab legs open. And I just love to take my time, and my husband doesn't like them, but he likes to watch me get into it. But that's how we were Friday night. But on our way to meet my daughter to go to this restaurant, we stopped to pick up our mail. And when I stopped to pick up my mail, there was an envelope in there, and in that envelope was a large gift certificate to a very nice place in Lancaster where I like to eat. It is called Shady Maple. And I'm thinking, oh, man, Shady Maple. And I'm on my way to eat these crab legs. Well, then Sunday, my husband said, would you like to go to the smorgasbord now at the fire hall? I'm telling you what, it would never, it would never do to be on a diet with my husband. He's like the devil on my shoulder when it comes to food. He always says, well, that's all we do. We don't do anything else. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but anyway, I was coming home, getting ready to take my nap after the smorgasbord. And the Lord reminded me of that hand that I was kind of not looking forward to getting up 4 o'clock and putting that oven. And he said, because of that little thing, because of you sacrificing and getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and putting that ham in the oven for my people, look how I blessed you. And I thought, oh, God, that's so true, so true. And I began to thank God because it, it was God speaking to me and saying to me, we can never outgive God. Next thing. I stopped at a little stand out in Needmore when I got off of work, and they had flowers there. And my favorite flower is a daisy. And they had beautiful Gerber daisies there. And I, I didn't have much money with me, but I picked up one that was pink because it reminded me so much of my daughter. And then I thought, well, I can't get one without getting the other one. And she got me a Gerber daisy one time. You know how that goes. And so I only have two daughters here. My mother's in Florida. So I picked up the two and took them home. I made the mistake of sitting them by my step. And boy, did they look nice sitting by my step. So I put them in the car when I went over to babysit my grandson. And I gave my one daughter hers. And when I took supper to my other daughter, because I usually try to cook for all of them when I'm over there, I forgot that other Gerber daisy, and it was in the back of my car. So I drove it back home. Well, I couldn't let it in that car, so I put it out in front of my step again. And I thought, man, that looks nice in front of my step, and that is my favorite one. So I thought, no, I'm putting that back in the car, and I'm driving it over to my daughter's. Well, Sunday I walked into church, and there was boxes of flowers back there for Mother's Day. And guess what they were? They were Gerber daisies. Oh, but it gets better. The whole time I'm thinking, there's that special color I picked out. And I thought, I'm thinking, I'm thinking the whole time, I'm thinking, Lord, don't let them allow us to pick that flower out our color. I, I want to see you high and lifted up, and I want to see how you use this situation, and I don't want to pick it out, and I want to see what color whoever hands them out gives me. So after church, I'm not sure if it was a preacher or brother. Somebody said somebody be handing them out or we could pick up one. He probably won't even remember this, but buddy, I was looking for details. Because I was looking for God to show up big. Because he does show up big. 
So I walked back there, and Brother Junior had two flowers in his hand. You probably won't remember this, but here he stood, only facing the opposite of what I'm facing. He had two flowers. He looked at the one, and I thought for sure he was going to hand it to me, the one in his left hand. But he reached out and handed me the one in his right hand, and I'm telling you what, I could have shouted because it was the exact same color that I had given my daughter. And I, I, I went home, and I sat that by that step. My husband said, that's the same exact flower you're getting. <laughs> and it was a testimony. It was a shout because God was speaking to me, and he was showing me that know what the Bible says? That he will give us the desires of our heart. And you might say, oh, that was just a Gerber daisy. But to me, it was just like getting $500 because I'll tell you what, it was God showing up big. But that was the second time, just in a matter of a couple weeks. Then I was thinking about how I'm always concerned that I'll forget my, one of my grandkids' birthdays. And boy, I better not forget one of my grandkids' birthdays. So I'm thinking, this is how my mind works. I'm thinking in bed, getting up in the morning one morning. I said, I'm going to get me a calendar, and I'm going to write down every kid's birthday on there so I don't forget it. And at the beginning of every month, I'm going to look at that calendar so I don't forget somebody's birthday. You know, I'm getting older, and I have senior moments. So I'm thinking about this. So my daughter calls me up and says, hey, how about meet me at Milky Way today? I said, Okay. I meet her in Milky Way, and she has this gift for me. She said, I got this for you, Mom. She said, I thought about you. I opened it up, and it was a personal-made calendar. And on the days of the week and months that one of my grandkids' birthday is there is their picture. I want to tell you something. God spoke to me, and he said, I'm perfecting the things that concern you. God showed up. Last and final thing I'm going to share just happened in the last couple weeks. My kids had bought us a new sofa for Christmas. They got us one of those that you pull down, you can put your drinks in. And we already had a living room suit and another couch. So we had one couch too many. And my daughter said, don't worry about it, Mom. I'll run it in the paper or I'll come up and get it and take it to the Goodwill, whatever. Well, they never showed up to get it. And my room was so tight, you could barely get through in there. And if it's one thing I can't stand, it's clutter. My husband will tell you, because I'm the throwawayer and he's the hoarder. But anyway, and then I'll say, where did this or that go to? And he'll say, remember, Debbie, you threw it away. Said you wouldn't need it again. Well, anyway, they never showed up to get it. Every time I see her. Sherry, are you going to come get that sofa out of my upper living room? Yeah, Mom, I'm going to come get it, but we're just too busy. So finally, one, one evening, I, we were on our way out to dinner. I stopped over at that used place, that Dorothy's whatever it is, used place. I said, hey, I was wondering if you'd come and pick up things. You know, I have this couch. You're welcome to it. Just come and get it. Three times she called me and made an appointment to come get that couch. Three times, and three times she didn't show up. And I wasn't too happy about that. In fact, I'm going to be downright honest with you. I think I told my husband, you know what, I'll take it out and set a match to it before I give it to her. Now, that was just the resurrection of the flesh right there. But <laughs> I would have given it to her, but I'm just human. 
But anyway, Saturday of 5K, I thought I had left my cell phone at home, and I said to the uh, pastor's mom, to Sister Barb, I said, would you like to go with me? I have to go pick up my cell phone. I said, then you'll know where I live if you want to come visit. She said, sure, I'll ride along. Brother Junior was trying to get the fire going, and I figured we had plenty of time. <laughs> so anyway, I found out when I went to the car, my phone was in my pocketbook. But I just felt like I needed to go over there. So I went over, in the meantime, I'm, I'm apologizing for what my house looks like because I have a big roaster sitting on the kitchen table and all things from cooking. You know how it is when you cook in your kitchen. And I said, in my living room, is pretty cluttered. And I started to tell her about this couch. She said, I've been praying about getting another couch. You know what that was? God knows what we have need of before we even ask. And I'll tell you what, that's why that lady didn't show up. That's why I didn't set a match to it. And that's why my daughter never showed up to get it. Because God knows what he is doing. But we have to make sure that we don't drift. And we stay excited about the things of God. I'll tell you, it's exciting to serve God. Tell you what, it takes, it takes more than a wimp to serve God. And it's wonderful to serve him. I better get a move on here. Time's passing by. He said, the storms are brewing. The dark clouds are above. My people are looking to the right and left, running to and fro. He said, they are playing like children in a sandbox. And I thought to myself, how true that is. You know, God did not create us to be happy all of our life or to be comfortable. He created us to be a dwelling place. There's a chorus that I've been wanting to teach the church, and it says, I was born to be a dwelling place, a place for the presence of the Lord. So let my life now be separated unto thee, that I might be what I was called to be. How important that is, church. The most important thing in my life is not my happiness, although I truly believe if we put God first, we will be happy. And I have wonderful children and a wonderful husband, and God has blessed me in so many ways. Nevertheless, the number one goal in my life should not be my happiness or my comfort, but it should be to allow him to be that dwelling place so that when I'm in contact with other people, I will reflect Christ in such a way that they will want what I have. You see, everywhere I go, first of all, I'm a walking advertisement for God Almighty. Secondly, I'm a walking advertisement for the church that I attend. It's a serious thing, church. Today, we have people who want God to follow them around. They want God to bless them and get them out of trouble. They want God to give them a Cadillac to drive and a mansion to live in. But our desire tonight would be, Lord, I don't care just so it gets me where I need to go. My greatest desire is more of you. And then the final thing that I remember from that message was this. He said, prepare yourself.
When I think of that, I have to ask myself, am I prepared for the storm? Am I prepared? You know, the ten virgins thought they were all prepared. They were virgins. They were pure to represent Christians, but yet they weren't prepared. We will never produce the characters of Christ on our own. There's not some magic prayer I can pray over anybody, over my children, even over myself, that will cause me to produce the characters of Christ. I cannot make a New Year's resolution and say I'm going to be more like Christ. I can do it. But the problem is, Christ's character in us is never produced by imitation. It is produced by inhabitation. You see, I can, I can, my will can be to be more like Jesus. I can pray to be more like Jesus. I can desire to be more like Jesus, and I do. But it's only as I allow Christ to take more and more and more and more of me that I can begin to take on more and more and more of him. You see, the more I die out to myself, the more he can abode inside me. So am I prepared for the coming storm? Sad to say tonight that the majority of church people are no threat to the devil. It's sad, but it's true. I'm reminded of a story I read a lot of years ago that stuck, stuck with me. It was, I, I don't know if it was true. It could have been a fable, but the message was real. It talked about a man who was in a desert place without water. And he found a shack, and inside that shack was one of those old-time pumps. Some of you remember those old-time pumps that you just had to pump and pump and pump, and sometimes you had to prime them. Well, that's the way it was with this. And he primed and pumped and pumped, and no water came out. And then over in the side of the shack, he saw a container of water. And there was a note attached to that. And it said, use this stale water to prime pump to get the fresh real thing. So he had a decision he had to make. Do I drink this water? Trust me, when you're thirsty enough, you wouldn't care how stale it was. You would down that. But he had that decision to make. Am I going to drink this old stale water? Because who knows who left that here? Or am I actually going to use this whole container of water and dump it down and let it prime this pump that I can get a hold of cool, refreshing water? And as the story went on, he used the water. And I don't know if I could, I could have been that strong, to be honest with you. But he did, and out came that flowing, cool water. And you know, that's how it is with our spiritual walk with God. So many of us have drifted to the point that we are living so far underneath God's potential for us. And he's saying, just take it all. Just take it all and dump it in there. And let me, let me prime up your life. Let me give you the real thing. You're, you've, waited, you've drank that old stale water long enough. Let me become the, the fountain of living water. 
The Bible talks about us trading cisterns for the living water of God. And that's what's happening to the church realm. They become so used to faking it till they make it. And I hate to use that expression, but that's exactly what a lot of churches have done. Because they may as well just change the name on the front of their church because they're no more Pentecostal than anybody else. Remember, the rich man had it all. But one day later, he was asking for a sip of water. Are you prepared? Are you drifting? Are you closer to God than you've ever been in your life? Or do you realize there was a time in your life when your shout was a little louder and when your dance was a little higher and when you desired to be in his house a little bit more than what you do now? Remember this. No woman is beautiful enough. No man is handsome enough. No treasure is worth enough. Because if we miss heaven, we miss it all. Amen? Ask yourself the question in closing tonight. Ask yourself the question. Am I drifting? Or am I closer to God than what I've ever been in my life? Time's running out, church. And I thank God for the pastor we had that preaches it like it is. And he's been warning us. And he's been telling us, too, that time is running out. And if you're, if you're right with God and you have a relationship with him, really no one has to tell you that. You know it. You feel it. You know something's about to happen. But I want to tell you something. Sad to say the churches are going to be filled one day too late. And again, I say in closing, if we miss heaven, we miss it all. Amen? I'm going to have us come to the altar and take some time to pray. And if there's anybody that wants special prayer or needs us to pray for you, we'd be happy to do that. But let's just come to the honor and spend some time tonight in prayer. Hallelujah.